0: Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hey there, it's Amara. Welcome to the Translash Podcast, a show where we tell trans stories to save trans lives. Well, we are in the midst of Halloween, that season where everyone is dressing up and trick or treating and doing all things related to horror and things that are scary and also a lot of parties. And this is generally a really important time of the year for trans people. It's the time when so many of us growing up had the ability to be able to transform our gender, or even as we were getting older, to be able to embody different versions of ourselves, to see what felt right, the ability to be able to be ourselves fully without anyone questioning it. And there's nothing that embodies all of that like Broadway, which is sort of Halloween every single night. So it was an absolute treat for me recently to be able to go see Angelica Ross in her amazing role as Roxy on Broadway, actually the first trans person to play a lead role in a major legacy musical. And so we'll talk to Angelica about what it's like to embody this character night after night And what playing this role has meant for her and what she thinks it means for our community.
0: You know, I was being told, well, girl, I mean, as a trans woman, that's about as good as it can get. And I had the audacity to feel like I wanted more.
1: But before we get to that interview, where we actually peel back the curtain on some really important realities, let's celebrate some trans joy. Hi there. Yep, it's still me, Amara, but I'm coming to you in the middle of this program with a really important message about a vital effort that we're undertaking this month at TransLash. While we're on the subject of bringing who we are fully into the world, a key part of that is, of course, control over our bodies— Being able to decide how we present them, what we do with them, and whatever we need to do to feel whole, that's the power that we need in our lives. That's why beginning on October 15th, we're going to launch the second phase of our year-long narrative effort, Trans Bodies, Trans Choices, with an array of trans-slash content from October 15th through the middle of November. We will be rolling out a zine animated films, a special area on our website with important resources that pertain to body autonomy, reproductive justice and healthcare, and of course, abortion as well. We will be dropping a bonus episode of the Translash podcast and... We'll be rolling out new content on our writing platform, TransLash News and Narrative, to extend this conversation even further. So I hope that beginning on October 15th, you'll visit us at TransLash.org. If you sign up for our newsletter, you'll be getting this content automatically. Follow us on social media at TransLash Media. That's why we hope that you'll be joining us on this journey to follow all of the powerful stories and insights that you'll be getting and that we'll be presenting with Trans Bodies, Trans Choices. There's a long history of connections between transness and horror. From Psycho to Silence of the Lambs, the genre has often demonized any kind of deviance from gender norms. But monsters like vampires and werewolves have also been ways for trans people to explore experiences of dysphoria and otherness. Today. I'm excited to highlight someone who is doing just that, Isaac Feldman. Isaac is the author of the novel Dead Collections, a love story involving an archivist named Saul who must grapple with transphobia and strange illness. Here's Isaac to tell us more.
2: Saul, the main character of my book, really experiences being a vampire as a medical problem rather than as something that is particularly fun or romantic, although he learns to find his vampiric trans body uh, joyous and interesting and sexy in ways that uh, surprise him. My own transition was, you know, it was intensely literary. When I started taking testosterone, I literally recognized a different feeling in my skin. The ground under my feet felt different. So I wouldn't have been able to recognize these feelings if other writers hadn't conceived of them for me and told me about them and shown them to me. So I am very thrilled to have become a part in a small way of that lineage or less pompously family of trans writers and readers.
1: Isaac Fellman, you are trans joy. Today I am beyond thrilled to talk with the stunningly talented actress, advocate, and entrepreneur, Angelica Ross. I'm sure you all know Angelica from her role as Candy in the award-winning, groundbreaking TV show Pose. Her presence has also graced shows like American Horror Story, Transparent, and other award-winning projects like the Her Story web series. Angelica also notably won a Glad Media Award for her interview on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Most recently, however, right now, actually. Angelica is the first openly trans woman to play the leading role of Roxy Hart in the Broadway hit Chicago. Now, I had the tremendous pleasure of seeing this just the other day. And honestly, I can tell you unreservedly to run, not walk, to see this show for yourself. She's incredible. But in addition to her impressive acting career, Angelica has worked behind the camera. She executive produced the Emmy-nominated web series, King Esther, among others. And she's also a musical artist. Angelica released her debut music video and single, Only You, just this past summer. If all of that wasn't enough, she's also the founder of Trans Tech Social Enterprises. It's a technical training and economic empowerment program for Black and queer trans people, which we highlighted during our recent episode on cybersecurity. Angelica, thank you so much for joining me in the midst of your backbreaking, truly backbreaking schedule.
0: Yes, thank you so much. And thank you so much for coming to the show the other day. It meant so much to have you in the audience.
1: Oh, it was wonderful. It was an absolute thrill. But before I fangirl all over your performance, I just wanted to know how you're doing. I think most people don't understand the schedule that Broadway actors undertake. So I'm wondering if you can just tell us how you're doing with, I think it's five times a week and then several matches. On top, how are you holding up?
0: Well, yes, it's it's eight shows a week, which is uh, it's a five show weekend. Most Broadway shows, the actors they have the cast that you know they're off on Mondays, so we usually have a pretty big crowd on Mondays because most shows are closed. We're open, so my day off is actually on a Wednesday, which means that I go Friday show, two shows on Saturday, two shows on Sundays, and then another show on Monday and Tuesday before I actually get a break. So it's very grueling. A lot of days I I, am sometimes on the verge of calling out, you know, because I'm just so fatigued. But what I've been learning about my body and my voice, even though I've been fatigued and yes, you should rest and yes, you should take care of your body. And maybe I should do a better job at that. But I do realize by the time it comes around to curtain call, you know, for me to uh, actually go on stage I'm ready. Every day, I kind of like am surprised at myself at how much energy I still have or how much voice I still have left over from doing eight shows a week, but I'm doing it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you certainly are doing it. And I'm glad that we started there because so often People only see what they perceive to be the glamour of show business, right? Red carpets, magazine spreads, all of the things that we associate with the things that are, quote, easy about being a celebrity, and in this case, an actor. But what I am happy about is giving us a little insight into just how much work it is and how much it takes out of you and what you have to give to it in order to make it seem flawless, which I think is an important in reality,
0: Before I started Roxy, I um, started with like sort of a chanting goal because I chant, I'm a Buddhist, chant, mm-hmm. and so one of the things that I was chanting for was to be able to manifest and become whoever, whatever type of person I needed to become to be great at this. So if that means you know, a certain amount of rehearsals, if that means vocal coaching, if that means vocal rest, if that means living like a nun or a monk and not partying and not, you know, being able to hang out and do things for a little bit, having that discipline. And I realized that even the Broadway, my co-stars that have been there for 10 plus years and the lives that they dedicate to this, it's a sacrifice. And I'm sure they found some balance, you know, once you have been doing it for so long. But It's still, I know one of the girls in the chorus was telling me she does a full ballet class every day before the show as well. So it's like, it's not just the show. It's not just the hour and a half before the show where I'm doing my hair and makeup. It's the vocal training. It's the stretching. It's the exercise. It's all of it to keep you in tip-top condition. And it just really reminds me about what it would take from other people to whether it's Broadway or something else. Whatever your dreams are, don't think you're going to get there dragging your feet.
1: One of the things that I think is so remarkable about your performance, and I really do think that it is truly remarkable. As I said, I went with a friend of mine who is a Chicago aficionado. I mean, able to sing along with all the songs. And (laughs) that person said to me afterwards that you were the best Roxy that they'd ever seen.
0: That's an honor.
1: (laughs) And I think one of the things that blows me away, and this goes to what we were just talking about, just the amount of energy and time and dedication and heart you have to put into this because, you know, theater is a way of life, right? Every theater person I know, it is a total way of life Mm -hmm. for them, is just how physical your performance is. You know, just how embodied the Roxy character is that you Portray. And I am wondering when you got the call to do this, did you have any sense of what was going to be required of you in this role?
0: I thought maybe I had a sense, but (laughs) kind of realized that I was not even close. You know, I knew that I would have to sing and I knew that there would be some dancing because, you know, even from just remembering clips from like the movie and things like that, like I used to be obsessed with the movie. And knowing that Velma and Roxy at one, at some point at the end, you know, danced together. But I associated a lot of the movement with Velma and the chorus, you know, with all that jazz and everything else and didn't realize just how physical the role of Roxy was. So when I got to New York and saw the show again with Charlotte as Roxy, Charlotte Desbois, seeing her be up on this ladder and then like go up and drop down and go back up on the ladder and then all of the different physicality and taking up space on that stage, I started to quickly understand just how physically demanding this would be. I've been prepared for some of this, like doing shows like American Horror Story. When I did 1984, um, we were in the woods and I did some of my own stunts and realized how physical it is. Like acting, sometimes it's not just standing in a room, having a conversation. Sometimes it's running. Sometimes it's, jumping over barriers, or sometimes it's dancing or singing. So really, I had a clue, but I also knew that I was in a space where I was ready to push myself to that limit.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the things that struck me is that from the moment that you come on stage, it's hard to take your eyes off you. Even that first part when you come on stage, you're actually not actually saying anything, kind of on stage right. And from that moment— there's this electricity about you that pulls everyone's attention towards you, even though most of the action is still going on on stage. Yeah. I mean, there's so many amazing numbers, but as we chatted briefly afterwards, the number, which is we both went for the gun, where you essentially become a marionette in the story, Mm -hmm. was just pure genius. It It was really something to see. And I'm wondering how you went from that, oh, I don't really know how much physical this is, to being able to embody those moments. What was that, like, transformation? Because what shocked me is that you've actually never seen yourself do any of this. It's only you looking out. So you haven't had the ability to adjust. It's just other people telling you. So I'm wondering how you went from, oh, you know, yeah, it's going to be some physicality to being able to do these incredible stage moments.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have to give props to Greg Butler, um, One of the choreographers has been with the show for a very long time. He worked with me for, I think, four weeks, three or four weeks in uh, Los Angeles before I got to New York. And just going over these Fosse moves, they're so precise. And you have to know what every piece of your body is doing. So a lot of our warm-ups that we did with Greg, wow. I mean, I was sweating sometimes because... I mean, sometimes <laughs> I'm sweating all the time, but I was sweating um, sometimes from the simple fact of what we call isolation. And in that isolation, I could be like standing upright and he's like, okay, move your, you know, your head or your neck from left to right. Okay, now just move your shoulders. Okay, now just move your rib cage. And there would be these moments where I have to try to not move anything else on my body. Except for that area. So all you're looking at is that my, my rib cage going side to side, not my shoulders, not anything else. Mm-hmm. And so when you start paying that high level attention to detail with what each part of your body is doing. Like when we both reach for the gun, you know, we worked really hard on from everything from how my eyes were going to be set to my hands. Uh, and just it's very precise work. Every night, of course, it's it's live theater, so every night is slightly different. But, um, you know, it, it truly is fun because my executive director of Trans Tech, I was just doing an a interview with him with GLAD and and they asked him what his favorite number was. And he said that one as well. And he just said basically had the same response of, of like how it seemed like I was so embodied as this marionette. So that's really great to hear from various different people. Um, it just means that the work that we put in ahead of time really is paying off.
1: I'm wondering how you see Roxy in relationship to transness at all. Do you see Roxy as a cis woman? Do you see Roxy as trans, even if she is cis? Are there parts of transness that you think accentuate her character at all? I'm wondering this relationship between who you are and your character, kind of what you've been able to bring to her and if transness is a part of that, or trans experience is a part of that.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting because I never really thought about it like that, but I, like thinking about it this way, you know how being trans, I feel like most people have had this experience, but I could be wrong, but as trans people, you're living your life And there's these moments where you completely forget that you're trans. Mm -hmm. Meaning, like, you're just living your life. You're a woman in the world. You're a man in the world. whatever, Wherever you lie, non-binary in the world, you're just a person who, you know, is just living your life. And, you know, especially as a trans woman, being a woman in this environment, when I walk out the door, I'm read as such as a woman. I'm treated as such um, as a black woman. And so kind of similarly playing Roxy... I pretty much see the role as like a cis role and less of that and more so it's like really intersection with how I see myself. And it's, it's not that I see myself as cis, but it's that I see myself in that main narrative only until something in the story reminds me that I'm trans. Say, for instance, when after she sings My Own Best Friend and she pretends to pass out, and kind of quickly comes up with this idea that she's pregnant. <laughs> I always take have a look, certain look in my eye when I look towards the audience, like, I know y'all know I'm bullshitting. You know what I'm saying? But like, <laughs> and it's just this thing of me being trans and you know, me as a trans woman not being able to have a child. But, or during Roxy, when I say, and now I've got me a world full of yes, instead of saying yes, I'm like, yes, you know, and and using those moments to kind of nod to the culture. For me, it's really reflective of just the normal experience that we're more alike than we are different, but there's also nothing wrong with calling back to and giving a nod to the culture and communities you come from.
1: Yeah, and I think the ultimate thing that I get from Roxy's character is that, you know, she's ultimately a survivor. Like even though she makes terrible mistakes, right yeah. and has made terrible mistakes i think even her marriage for her probably was an act of survival everything that yeah. she is able to do every hustle that she comes up with every idea everything that she does behind bars and incarceration like she's ultimately a survivor she's ultimately a hustler and that's one of the things that that really strikes me about her character
0: i mean think about it culturally like throughout history there have been different cultures who have either arranged marriages or even sold off their daughters Mm -hmm. in ways that were supposed to take care of them instead of the father being the responsibility now and there's some man's responsibility or what have you. And it's just odd, I think, to be in a world and society that kind of supports controlling women in that way But then when women take the control and try to make themselves safe and make these decisions of being with men for more reasons than that, you know, that they're attractive or that, you know, for survival. Like, again, you know, the passion, unfortunately, was not there between Roxy and Amos, you know, and you can feel this 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 element of settling for the best that you think it can get. And when I know it comes to a lot of trans women, I've been there before myself, engaged and in a relationship where, you know, I was being told, well girl, I mean, as a trans woman, that's about as good as it can get. And I had the audacity to feel like I wanted more and to leave that situation and say that I deserved more. I deserve someone who was able to love me in the broad daylight, which I mean, to be fair, I was being loved in broad daylight, but I had cis-assuming privilege, so people didn't know I was trans in the environments that I was in. So I was, in essence, living in stealth. But I deserved to be loved and celebrated for exactly who I am, which is the experience I have today.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing. And th- yeah, and, and you're right. She didn't have that as, as an option, and that was one of the things that that comes out and that you can bring to that role In seeing this, I mean, theater is the ultimate test for actors. And I think that it's undeniable your gift and the power of your ability. It really shines through in this role, I think. Thank you. What television and movies do is that the editor has control over how you're seen, right? But what's great about theater is that you're in total control about how you're seen all the time. And I think that what comes across in that is the sheer power that you have, of embodiment. And I just wanted to say that and to say that that's a reason why everyone should go see this role, because it is craft in motion.
0: Thank you so much.
1: And it's really a joy to see. Kind of along that line, I'm wondering if what being on Broadway, maybe even what being a part of Pose has taught you about the power of possibility. You know, I think that so often, our society gets us to think about our lives in very limited ways. And I don't only mean as trans people, but I mean writ largely, but especially for trans people, that if you're just able to um, survive and not have your life in danger, then you're succeeding. But one of the things that's really clear about your life is how groundbreaking it is and how, in so many ways, you've taken every step and expanded it to create even more possibility for yourself. And so I'm wondering if your time on Broadway has contributed to that. That is to say, what do you feel is different about how you see yourself now versus when you started in this role?
0: You know, I think about a quote from um, Pose and it was really from Helena, the dance teacher, who was really kind of almost chastising Damon because he was showing up late to rehearsals and stuff like that. And so, you know, she talked about how when being an artist and the process of being an artist involves a little bit of pain, you know, it's almost like it's blood, sweat and tears, almost literally, especially for dancers who end up having different scars and things on their feet and things from the actual process. But what I understand is that when you're going after your dreams and when you are activating yourself and your body, there's a little pain involved. And it's the type of pain, it's both sometimes emotional pain of feeling the difference and the tension between where you are and where you want to be. It is also the physical pain of your body, but what happens is it gets you to pay attention I believe in a spiritual sense that that's what a lot of pain gets you to do is to pay attention, to to not neglect um, a certain area that is saying pay attention to this spot. So whether it is cramp in my leg or uh, my muscles or whether it is, you know, my voice, I'm realizing that I am one person completely made up of muscles. And that the voice is a muscle. And so that it all can be strengthened. Your voice can be strengthened. Your body and your ability to some degree, I know for other folks having different uh, abilities, but still, wherever you're coming from, that you can condition yourself and your muscles to be prepared for whatever challenge that you're faced with. So I know so many people have sort of like a maybe fatalistic or pessimistic sort of outlook on life. And, and you know, and I know that some people are probably overly optimistic or kind of like are wearing rose colored glasses about things. But I will say the middle ground with that, the actual proof of that is the actual process of allowing yourself to be strengthened it doesn't happen by osmosis it doesn't happen you know sitting back smoking weed watching tv like it just doesn't shout out you know great for folks when they need to like have these moments and do whatever but like i don't care if if something comes up in your mind and i think about candy i think about candy from pose i think about even for roxy it's not, oh, you know, I have these silly dreams or I have this silly want to be a a model or to do this and that's just impossible. Well, it's impossible if you're not going to do anything to start making steps in that direction. So it's really from the candies to the Roxies, what I'm trying to reflect and what's been reflected to me is that you can achieve anything that you're willing to work at.
1: Well, and... um Endure for.
0: Endure uh, and endure. My goodness, and endure. In our Buddhist practice, they say to start is easy. To continue is difficult.
1: I'm wondering what are the mountains that you want to climb? Sticking with this theme of the things that are causing you discomfort or the things that are on your heart to do, what are the mountains that you want to climb for yourself that are in front of you?
0: You know... I want to be free of white supremacy. I want to be able to move at a pace that is respectful to my body, that is respectful to my value and my time. When I choose to speak up and advocate, when I choose to perform when I'm doing anything, that there's a space and balance to things that makes me feel like I can both enjoy rest as well as the race. So many times it feels like all or nothing. And so many times it feels like, you know, I know for myself that I have been able to make opportunities happen, and manifest things, but, you know, I still am not powerful enough or I don't know what, focused enough or what, I don't know, but I'm still not, having figured out how to balance it all, how to do it all, and to still pay the bills. We're all living under a capitalistic society, and the biggest thing that I'm doing to overturn the wave is to reject these narratives that say you have to do this in order to be successful. That's why I bought my house in Atlanta, because I want to build my world in a place that is not about the Hollywood fakeness, that is not about being sort of beholden to a yes from a casting director.
1: When you say that you want to be free of white supremacy, are you saying that You want to be free of the limitations that white supremacy imposes on you as an actor, in terms of, and as a black trans woman actor, in terms of what it thinks that you should do? Are you saying you want to be free of it from the capitalistic standpoint that you have to, like, you know, work twice as hard, be twice as good, and run yourself into the ground? Can you just unpack a little bit about the way that you? way it plays out in your life. Because again, I think that on this theme that we've kind of touched upon about kind of behind, there is an entire world that demands a lot of us and you. So when you mention like you want to be free of white supremacy, in what way is it showing up for you that you feel that it's constraining and a burden?
0: People know me as someone who's very transparent and authentic and all those things, And the way that capitalism works, whether it's in the corporate world or whether it's in show business, it silences you in, in moments. And the reality is I can't fully talk about my experience. I can give you the highlights, but that's why I'm working so hard to create a space where I'm the boss and where I can say no when I really want to say no. But there's just certain dynamics about this business, that the reality is, is that I really wish that my fan base and people who support me, love me, follow me, the one thing I want them to do is just understand I don't have all the privilege you think I have. I've always been very transparent about what I can do. So you see, I'm starring on Broadway and yet the Tamron Hall show is the only show that's invited me on. Do you understand what I'm saying? like, I haven't been on any of the late shows. I haven't been on the morning shows. I haven't done any of that. And it's not because I've said no, it's because I haven't been invited. It's because certain press or PR people reach out to them, they're not interested. Or, you know, they know what I stand for and know that I make the most out of any immediate opportunity to advocate and to, you know, deliver a message. So, authenticity sometimes comes at a cost.
1: Well, what's shocking is that I I can't imagine that anyone who meets you that doesn't realize you're the boss, (laughs) that's news to me. (laughs) That's a huge shock. Yeah. You come across as a person who is very self-possessed. You know exactly what you want. And also, I think what's so powerful about our conversation and what I'm getting from it, and I'm sure everybody listening is getting from it, is this incredible tension between this amazing possibility and the amazing life that you are living as an actor and as a creator, and then at the same time, the tremendous weight and undertow that you feel still by a system which is limiting you in so many ways. And the ways that you're trying to balance that and create freedom for yourself and other people is what you're holding. And... I think that that is just so real in terms of the moment that we're living right now.
0: Yes. Yeah. I think that a lot of people probably are feeling that tension. You know, I'm a grassroots organizer and activist. And so, you know, I just see so many things, whether it's from comedy to entertainment spaces where people want to be able to be problematic. They want to be able to oh, we're just having fun or, you know, just, hey, oh, can you not mention white supremacy for like five minutes, you know? And I get that. You know, I do, I do get that. But it's, it's hard to pick and choose your battles. And that's what I also want to share is that, like, you absolutely are going to have to pick and choose your battles. And I say that because you're a human being, so you cannot battle all the time, girl you cannot fight the whole time. You will be fatigued, you will wear yourself out. So you are gonna have to get, as my ex used to tell me, uh, work smarter, not harder. And you're gonna have to pick your battles.
1: Well, I know that we are all thrilled that the battle that you decided to take on was the role of Roxy, because it is groundbreaking. You are amazing in it. And I am so hoping that you will be on Broadway countless times, that there is a Tony in your future. Thank you. I would see you anytime I could um, in anything, uh, because it was just that transformative of an experience to see you embody something that's so powerful on the stage and the best tradition of the stage. And I just want to thank you for your work and for everything that you're doing. And again, hope that everyone go see this and keep going. Three more weeks. So November 6th is the last day. So go see Angelica as Roxy. And-,
0: and you can get a discount on tickets. You can get a discount on tickets if you go on Trans Tech Day, which is October 29th. There's a discount code you can find if you go to transtechsocial.org. You'll see the flyer for that with the discount code and you can get discounted tickets and be surrounded by community.
1: And we'll be sure to put that in the show notes and in all social promotions so that people know that they can do that as well. You are exhausted. You have a show tonight. We're going to wrap, but I just want to express my appreciation to you again. Thank you so much, Angelica.
0: Thank you so much, Amara.
1: Thank you for joining me on the Translash Podcast. Now listen all the way through to the end of the show for something extra. But first of all, special thanks to Aaron E. for giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. Aaron says... I can't even express how much this episode means to me. Amara's voice is so soothing and the information is top tier. I'm always excited when there's a new episode because I know I'm going to learn something new, important, heartwarming and pertinent to trans lives. Thank you so much for existing in this space. Aaron, thank you so much for your kind words, especially about my soothing voice. And if you all want to help show support for the show and combat these trolls, go ahead and leave your own five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and you might just hear me read it out on the show. The Translash Podcast is produced by Translash Media. The Translash team includes Oliver Ash Klein and Aubrey Calloway. Our intern is Marana Munson Burke. Xander Adams is a contributing producer to the show and our sound engineer. Digital strategy is handled by Daniela Capistrano. The music you heard was composed by Ben Draghi and also a courtesy of ZZK Records. The Translash Podcast is made possible by the support of foundations and listeners like you. What I'm looking forward to is Trans Bodies, Trans Choices, which I spoke about in our mid-roll. We've been working so hard on it. Uh, This latest iteration is going to be a total exciting departure for us in terms of doing animation. We've been working with some amazing trans animators on that work that's coming up. We're going to have podcasts and a zine, a whole bunch of other really cool, innovative um, things for us as a platform and an entity. But more important, want to continue to drive the conversation. So I'm truly excited about Trans Bodies, Trans Choices. This second wave of the campaign that we launched earlier this year, we're going to be rolling out starting the week of October 31st. So just make sure that you are tuned into that. And also, everybody, just make sure that you are really paying attention to everything in the run-up to this election, not only for your congressional and Senate races, but absolutely for your state races where so many of the issues around our bodies and our choices are being decided. It's so important that you turn up for that. Even if you are kind of eh on the national stuff, what's happening in your state legislatures and with your state legislators, as you all know, is having a huge impact on our ability to be who we are. And so there's almost not a state in this country that isn't trying to push something that's Uh, anti-trans. More than 40 states, 300 bills introduced in this last year. And we know that so much of that is driven by what's happening in state houses. So please pay attention to what's happening. um, And that relates to our campaign that we are putting out. So make sure that you just focus on all of that. We've all got a lot of stuff going on. It's not been an easy two or three years. I know that we feel... Turned upside down, but by everything that's happened. But make sure that you look at trans trans choices. Hopefully, that's going to inspire you. And also make sure to find out who's running for your state legislators, and turn out and vote for who you want to see there making decisions on behalf of you.